Hey, and welcome to MPHX Church Online. We're so glad to have you checking out our latest message as we continue in repurpose from broken to belonging. This eight-week series dives into Pastor Noe Garcia's new book, Repurposed. Repurposed and his Romans 8 Bible study is now available in our bookstore or at mphx.org slash repurposed. We hope you enjoy the message. you're visiting today. I mean, I just love seeing our college students, by the way. I love looking over here and seeing our college students. Hey, give it up, GCU. Let's hear GCU. Let's hear ACU. All five of y'all represented. ASU. So glad that you guys are here. We love our college students. Um, If you were visiting, we have been going through uh, a, a sermon series through Romans 8. It's, it's power-packed with 39 verses of just God's profound truth and a redemptive truth. And if you were here last week, um, even if you weren't, let me, let me recap why this is so important and why we're doing this. Last week, I shared some sobering truths, and I think all of us in this room may have maybe affected by this to some degree, whether your personal life or somebody you know, but I shared last week, which is very heavy to my heart, uh, we talked about mental illness and depression, and I don't, I don't, I'm not confident that churches talk about these issues enough, and when there's broken people, if they can't turn and run to the church, where are they supposed to go? Uh, we should be a hospital for the broken. And last week I talked about depression and the reality of of these stats and research that's out there that it's just mind-boggling that every 12 minutes in America somebody commits suicide. Every 12 minutes. And every year in America, 250,000 people attempt suicide. It's very prevalent within college students, high school and middle school students. 250,000 attempted every year, 50,000 people in America commit suicide a year. It's sobering and it's a sobering reality. But last week, praise God that Satan lost several battles during the sermon and after the sermon, we had a flood of people, even online, who said, I was right there wanting to do it, but now I want to be free and I want to live. So, you know, if you're ever wondering why we talk about these issues, and I know it's uncomfortable for people, and I know it's uncomfortable, but gosh, we, we can't let the enemy win by staying silent to what's uncomfortable and leaving people in a state of hopelessness. We have the greatest hope and the greatest truth, the greatest cure, and his name is Jesus. And so our small groups, man, I'm so, if, if, by the way, if that is you in online and in person, let me tell you, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for taking the step forward and say, here's where I am and here's what I'm feeling. I'm proud of you for being bold because here's what I know, that the enemy wants to fight these battles in the dark. But God's fight is in the light. And when you bring that brokenness to the light, then God can begin to do a redemptive work in your life. 
And God can take the most broken person in this room and do something beautiful with their brokenness. But only God can do that. Only God. We've been going through Romans 8, and in our small groups, if you're in a connect group, they're so important because it's a place of freedom, it's a place of confession, it's a place, you heard these college students talk about it, there's freedom there. And let me share with you, when you join a small group, you get one of these for free. And this isn't a, a commercial, like, go get the book. No, this is simply, listen, we want you to go deeper. There are 39 verses, and, and I'm intentionally going to cover two or three every Sunday, so it forces us to dig deeper. If you're not in a small group and you're saying, Pastor, I want to go deeper at home on my personal time, you can get this in the bookstore. And just so you know, when you buy it in the bookstore, all proceeds go back to the bookstore. Um, but our greatest desire for you as a, as a community of believers is, is to know who God is and to take a deep dive with him. And in Romans 8, you, 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 see, you see God begin to restore through his word and, and redeem what the enemy has stolen. And, and I keep pointing this back, and I shared this before, but literally everything can, can go back to Genesis 3 and the entire Bible, all 66 books. All the books are pointing God, back to God's redemptive story in the brokenness because of what the fall did. All of it is pointing to Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. They're all, it's all pointing to the Savior, the Messiah. We need a Messiah. We need a Savior because we need to be rescued from something. We need to be rescued from our brokenness. So we live in a state of brokenness and in a world of brokenness. And in the fall, the enemy distorted what God had designed, right? And so what he distorted that we talked about last week was the mind. This is why depression is a reality. Because when, when the fall happened, what in the meaning now is all this sin happened, but all this illness happened as well. And so when we, we get sicknesses and we get illness, whatever it may be, it comes from the fall. It's a consequence of sin. And, and, and today we're going to touch on this word, what was stolen um, and what was broken and distorted in Genesis 3. Everything God has designed, the enemy will attempt to distort. What did he distort in Genesis 3? Relationships and marriage. There's no shocker that today in our society that the enemy has distorted what God has designed in Genesis 3. He has distorted this idea, right, of, of, of love. And because of that, humanity's been on this pursuit to rediscover what is love. How do you get it? How do you receive it? How do you give it? What is love? What is this? And this word can be scary for many people. In, in fact, if I'm being even more transparent with you, um, th there's this word love that I discovered um, for love a year ago. I've never heard of it up until about a year. It's called philophobia. Philos in the Greek is love. Phobia is the fear of something. This word philophobia is the fear of love or being loved. When I was a young boy, that, that picture of love was distorted at an early, early age, and I'm going to be transparent because I know I'm not the only one. When, when I was a young boy, I would see my father often abuse my mother, and the idea of marriage was broken and distorted and tainted. Then um, what ended up happening from there is um, about five or six years old, um, I then experienced um, uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, and I was absolutely shattered at five or six years old. Five or six years old, I was absolutely shattered. And, and, and some of you understand, 
And you're like, he's being pretty transparent. Yes, I am to set people free because it wasn't a story I wanted to write for myself. Are you, are you kidding me? It wasn't a story that if I would have written the story, it would have gone a lot differently. But nonetheless, it's what, it's what this broken world and, and the idea of love hand, handed to me. And then so here I am, a little boy who only experienced, it's like I had this, this fragile soul. At five or six years old, you, you're just so fragile. You're so impressionable. You're, you're so moldable. And the idea of love, you're still, you're still molding the idea of love. And, and, and when somebody close to you hurts you and ruins that and shatters that, then something happens to you and you begin, to, you begin to, to want to defend yourself the only way you know how to. And so here's the way I defended myself. I, I went to about nine or ten different schools growing up. About a new school every year. What I end up doing is I was afraid to let people see who I really was because I was afraid for them to reject me. I felt like it's just an abandoned boy who only experienced rejection so I was incapable of knowing how to love someone or knowing how to let someone love me. So here's what I did. I began to give everybody a fake version of the real me. Because I thought if they reject the fake version, then at least they were rejecting, rejecting a facade of me, not of who I really was. So I learned to live a shallow life out of fear of rejection. I learned to put a distance and nobody got in. These walls were so thick and these walls were so big. I was incapable of receiving love, incapable of giving love. I was kind of like a walking social media platform. I was fake, edited, and only gave you the best part about me. Because if I let you in, man, if I let you see that inside there's this broken little boy who wants to be restored and affirmed, I would be afraid that if I let you in and you saw the real me and you rejected the real me, then I wouldn't even want to be the me. Then, uh, at 18, not saved, I sat outside. I was so tired of being broken. I was so tired of experiencing the rejection of people, so tired of feeling abandoned, so tired of not feeling seen. I was just empty, and I was broken, and I was hungry to be accepted, and I was tired of being fake. That's the thing about being fake. You get tired of putting on a personality. And I was tired, man, and I sat there, and I looked at the stars in College Station, Texas, and I said, God... If you see me, if you hear me, if you love me, would you send me a shooting star just so I know you love me? Have you ever done that before? Have you ever like, God, if this is you, then this is going to happen? God, if you love me, the Chiefs will win. Like when I was in college, I would go to like college gatherings and I'd be like, all right, God, I'm tired of being lonely, Father. I'm here to worship you. The next girl who walks through that door... I'm taking it as a sign, Father, a sign of your love and a sign of your provision. Oh, not yet, God. Maybe the next. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I'm playing. I, I never did that. Never did that. But you know what I mean? I mean, you, you girls do it to the guy. I mean, you know what I, but do you know what I mean? You ever been at a place where you're so broken and desperate, you're just like, 
just give me a sign. Will you just be my anchor because I'm drowning? Will you just give me a sign, please, God? God didn't give me a sign that night of his love for me, which I shared last week. Took me to the place of attempted suicide. Let me fast forward. I become a Christian, and then I joined the Christian community. I was too ignorant and naive to recognize that Christian people sometimes didn't live much differently than secular people. And so then I become a Christian, and I go to a Christian school. And I begin to be like, hey, here's who I am. I'm not perfect. And all of a sudden, you feel the rejection of getting sized up because I was different and my struggles were different. So I, started, I learned, even in the Christian community, that although we preach grace and confession, it sounds real good biblically. I mean, it's, it's right. But when we say confession, it's only confession that we feel comfortable with. It's only confession that we understand. If we don't understand it, then we won't accept you or forgive you fully because we don't understand it. As if we could only forgive if we understand it. So glad Jesus doesn't work that way. So I learned to isolate myself and my big sins and only share my little sins. What were my little sins? Yeah, I missed my quiet time this morning. I'm guilty. I watched MTV all day today. <laughs> Bruh, like, because I was so afraid of Christian people rejecting me. Let me fast forward. I go to seminary. I'm in school with a bunch of pastors. Pastors are professional fakers. We know how to be, listen, we know how to be, we know what it means that like on the way here, ministers could be in an argument with their spouses and you're just like totally frustrated and upset. We walk in the door and we're like, we can't let people know that we're normal. So all of a sudden we go from hurting, broken, upset, is my marriage going to make it to, hey, how you doing today? God bless you. He's so good, isn't he? Uh, We don't do that. I'm not saying us. Some friends I know do it. But do you know what I mean? Because you do it too. You, don't you do it? Culture has taught us how to give people the fake version of us so that they don't reject us. So I meet my wife in seminary. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord's provision. Then here's what happened. 13 years ago, and some of you are going to hit your spouse because you know what I mean when I say this. Um, we meet and I begin to like fall so in love with her easy to do by the way I fall so in love with her it's the first time I've, I've been in love like this it's the first time I let my heart fall in love I fall in love with her and then I recognize like uh oh she came in and saw the real me but now she has the ability to hurt me So before she gets any deeper, let me make her go through a boot camp for my love. (laughs) So then, I like, I made her go through stuff so that I can see whether or not she was going to leave or stay. 
Ain't that messed up? And she said, yes. And she stayed. Only God. And she said, I don't understand. Why are you trying so hard to push me away? And I said, because I don't know how to receive your love. And I don't know how to get it back. Because inside of me, there's a little boy who was shattered at an early age who never discovered how to love like Jesus. Although I was preaching about Jesus. So we go through this process of trying to figure out how do I love and allow myself to be vulnerable to get hurt again? How do I let God love me when I feel like I'm so unworthy and filled with sin? Why would he love me when he knows everything about me? He sees through the facade of who I pretend to be. Why would God want me and not reject me? Paul in Romans 8 is writing to people probably no different than us. People who are really struggling with this word love and the idea of God's love for them. And here's why they struggled. It's no different than today's culture. They struggled because they were living amongst Pharisees who were judging everything they did and would love to call them out when they failed. And they were representative of God's love. They struggled because broken people were living amongst broken people and it, it just produced more brokenness. They struggled because they, were, they may have been, we don't know, they may have been deep in sin and so they questioned God's love for them. So Paul writes, understanding that these people aren't free. Although they're professing Jesus, they're not tasting freedom. And here's what I've experienced. And here's what I know. You can be lonely and get married and not experience freedom. You can chase the career, money, and job you want and still be a slave to sin or slave to your stuff. You can have everything that you want and desire and still not be free. He recognized that these people were slaves to fear and to sin, and he wanted them to be free, regardless of what they walk through and experience. The great theologian, Justin Bieber, <laughs> wrote this song that I actually really enjoy, and I, I played on repeat with my kids in the car. And here are the lyrics to it. It's actually pretty powerful. The title of the song is called Freedom. And, and he writes these lyrics. I know it's silly, but this is the idea of, of, of what he's trying to portray to the people about freedom. He says, the story's already been written, children. You are forgiven. I'm from Texas, so I like this next word, ain't. Ain't nothing you could do for you to change that. And everything you did, he erased that. He took it all and threw it in the wasteland. And then he goes on to say, freedom. Don't it feel good? I'm not going to sing it because I know you want me to. <laughs> he says, freedom. Don't it feel good? Freedom. No, I'm not going to. Freedom. <laughs> don't it feel good? He's trying to help broken people who are still in bondage to their sin, who feel like failures understand, stop it. Because God's love for you 
is not based off of your action or performance. God's love for you is based off the action and performance of his son, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross. So my children, be free in that and be free indeed. That's what he's trying to help them understand. Paul writes to broken people. In chapter eight and verse 14, he's going to address the brokenness of the people. It took a very long time to get in the text, but I wanted you to hear where this came from. Then he says this, Paul up to this point has been speaking about, listen, if you are, have the spirit of God in you and if you are led by the spirit of God, then you are absolutely free because God has placed a deposit in you It's called the Holy Spirit to claim and profess that you are his and that will never change. So he's, he's sharing this with them and he's saying, listen, if you live your life apart from God, There is destruction. You live your life with God. There is spirit and peace. That's what I preached last week. So he continues to talk to them about this because it's obvious that some of them are still bonded. And so I want you to hear in verse 14 what he says. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Now he is clarifying who is a Christian. He is clarifying who is a Christian. How do you know if you're in the room today, even North Phoenix Baptist Church, and that the spirit of God indeed lives in you? Because now Satan can fool us and think that if we do Christian activity, then we are followers of Christ. But you can do Christian activity without ever following Christ. So Paul wants to clarify this because Paul understands that the enemy can even whisper to you and be like, you're good, don't change a thing. But Paul's saying, well, let's, let's figure out if you're good or the spirit is residing in you. Number one clue, are you good with God? Are you receiving his love? Do you understand his love? Are you saved through his son? How do we know? Well, here's how we know. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. Paul uses this word led that he uses often. During this time, it may not mean much to us, during this time, there, was, there were many false cultural gods. And here's what would take place. Um, different gods today, but we still have cultural gods, don't we? Because I just showed us one. So they're cultural gods. They're, today in our culture, it's success, it's, it's a title, it's money, it's recognition. There are gods that our heart pursue. So Paul opens up to these people who are serving false gods of their time. So here's what they did. They would still, they were followers of Christ, understanding Christ, following Christ, but still were so impacted by the things of the culture that they would change their behavior based on what they wanted out of the culture. So when he says, um, you know that you are a child of God by what leads you. He uses this word because when these guys and girls were serving false idols, here's what they would do literally in their hearts, maybe even physically, they would submit their heart to these false idols. Meaning, okay, uh, today in our time, um, we, we may submit our lives to a career and to money and say, we, I will do whatever I have to do to get right there. How do you know what's an idol? Well, it's whatever you love and crave more than God himself. And so during this time, here were the idols they had, the idol of fertility, that if if they couldn't get pregnant, they wanted children, they would go make sacrifices to the idol of fertility and so that this this false idol would give them children. Uh, There's this idol of of, um, healing, which I shared with you before uh, several months ago. Uh, What they would do is they would go into this temple if they wanted to get healed, and they would lay down just like this on the floor, and they would turn the lights off, and they would release snakes on all these people. 
Because the God of, of the snake head or whatever, um, if the snake, here's what they thought, if the snake touched you, then that meant that the God is going to heal you. So you had even Christians who did not pursue Christ for pure, all healing, but they pursued false gods. So they would go and lay down absolutely crazy, lay down and just hope a snake would roll over you in the dark. You got to be absolutely crazy. And so they, their hearts were towards these false gods, and they were submitting to these false gods because they wanted what the false gods had to offer. And so Paul here in this text is saying, what are you led by? What has your desires? What has you in this trance? What has you so focused? If it's not Jesus, it's a problem. What are you led by? Well, this is easy. You know what you're led by by looking at your act- the actions of your life. The actions of your life and the thought pattern in your life will tell you what and who is truly leading you. When I first met Clancy, do you remember the first time you fell in love? My first time I fell in love, honey, by the way. Love will make you do some stupid things. When, you're, when, you're, when you fall in love... Like, I'm writing letters to her. I'm not saying it's stupid, but I did things I wouldn't normally do. I'm cooking dinner. Didn't I, honey? I mean, I was awesome. I would do all kinds of stuff because I was so in love. My money went to her, my time, my dedication, my thought, everything went to Clancy. I was like, tell me what you want. Tell me, I was just, I'm here for you. She had a hold of my heart. Not that it's inherently bad, but I began to let this emotional feeling lead my actions. And Paul is telling him, like, look, you can become in such a trance and so focused on a topic or on a career or on a person that you are led by these things. You are led by the desires of your heart. And here's what he says. Here's how you know that you are a Christian. Not that those things won't tempt you, but you, are, you will know that you are a Christian if you are led by the Spirit of God. So here's what it means. If you are led by the Spirit of God, it doesn't mean that you don't want to be successful. It doesn't mean that you don't want to be married. No, no, no. But it means this. God, I only want this promotion if this promotion is from you because you can see the future. So lead me, Father. God, I only want this spouse if this spouse is from you. So lead me, Father. It means that no matter what you encounter in life, you're asking the question, is this what you want? That's what it means to be led by the Spirit of God. I cannot see the future, and you can. Do you want this for my life? I cannot see tomorrow, but you can, and I may not understand it. Is this what you want for me? I may not like it. Is this what you want? Because you know this is the right spouse. You know this is the right church. You know this is the right job. You know all things. Is this what you want? See, the person that is not led by the Spirit is led by their emotions and their flesh. If your flesh is hungry, then you will feed it. And you never ask God if it's okay. So you say, no, 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 if you're a believer, you're saying, ask. You're led by the Spirit of God. It is guiding you. It is leading you. It is doing all of this. Then he says this. Watch this. So if you're led by the Spirit of God, there's this different confidence that you have. Then he says this in verse 15. For you did not receive, watch this, receive, 
Um, this word receive, uh, it, it's just, it was given to them, right? They didn't go uh, and put a bid in for it. They didn't go on Poshmark. They didn't go on eBay. They, no, it was just given to them without them ordering it or asking for it. So, for you did not receive, okay, so talking about what God gave them, the spirit of slavery. I need you to stay with me because this is important. The spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Okay, so we know that they were living in fear before Christ. Now that they, Christ is residing in them, Paul is saying, stop living the way you used to live, okay? You do not have to have the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Uh, the spirit of slavery means this, um, this word slavery, when you dig it in the Greek, it's just talking about what has ownership over you. So, so here's what it's saying. You don't have to fall fear to what has ownership over you. Don't do that. Don't let, don't fall fear to man because they don't have ownership over you. And what they say about you doesn't change what God thinks about you. Don't fall fear to the things of this world. Let me break this down, okay? Um, um, so it's like these people, before they knew Christ, they would, see, they would see this broken world. They would see the brokenness of this world and they were probably like, oh my gosh, oh, this world is crazy. And, and, and fear would get in their heart the more brokenness they, they saw. So let's pretend um, Paul knows they're on social media all day long. And they're allowing what they see on social media to dictate where they think God is sitting. And they forget, because of the brokenness in this world, that God is still sitting on his throne. Because if they viewed the brokenness of this world with the understanding that God is still in control and he's still on his throne... Here's what happens. These people see the brokenness of the world. Here's what they do. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, when is he coming back? This world is so messed up. Oh, my gosh. You know, and they're freaking out. And so he's saying, listen, here's the brokenness of the world, and you are terrified by it, and it's owning. You are a slave to the brokenness of this world, and it's changing the way you're acting. It's changing the way you're thinking. It's changing the way you're living. It's changing the way you're loving. And then throw in their own personal sin on top of that. And now they're saying, here is my junk. Here is my sin. Oh, gosh, how can God love me? I don't love myself. So he's saying, listen, to this brokenness, you're being a slave to it, which means wherever the brokenness goes, you're attached to it, as if this is going to give you your worth and comfort and identity. He's saying, this used to be who you were, but you're no longer this. So he's saying, don't be a slave. Don't let this have ownership of your mind and your space. Every time I talk about this kind of stuff, people think, oh, but you should know what's going on. Absolutely be involved of, in the world. Be involved. Know what's going on in our world, but do not let the world dictate who we know is sitting on the throne. And so I'm not saying be ignorant to what's happening in our world, but don't you dare forget who is in control and who is sitting on his throne, has always been in control, is still in control, will always be in control. What he's telling them is don't be a fear to this. Instead, as a Christian, take this approach. Here's the approach as a Christian. Man, there is brokenness. There is division. There is pain. There is heartache. There is suicide. There's all kinds of stuff. And then, God, there's my sin. And then, God, there's all this stuff. But you know what, God? Although this is reality, and although I don't like what's happening in our world, and although we can't wait for you to come back, here's what we will claim 
this is a reality, but there's also another reality, God, and that reality is that John tells us that you have overcome the world. You told me not to let my heart be troubled because you have overcome the world, and in this world there is pain and there is suffering, but you told me to, over, to overcome this and to know that you have defeated this, so this I will not be a slave to why I do not like it. My own sin I will not be a slave to why I do not like it. What I will be a slave to is your truth and knowing that you are on your throne. And so as a Christian, here's what he's saying. This is a reality. The brokenness is a reality. Don't be a slave to it. Don't be led by it. Don't be paralyzed by it. Know the reality. Be involved with the reality. Pray for the reality. At the end of the day, we can stand firm as Christians, not hiding behind brokenness. We can stand firm, you know, even singing, you are our anchor. He is the anchor. Because of you, in the middle of this brokenness, you are my anchor. And I can have all confidence because of who you are. I will no longer be a slave. And I will no longer let the things of this world own me and define me. I will be set free. I think that's what Paul's trying to say. So these people, and don't, don't put in there what I didn't say. I said what I wanted to say. You understand what I'm saying? I know how this works. He's saying we shouldn't care. No, I am saying Jesus is on his throne. And Christian, don't you ever forget that. And he is so in control. He is so powerful. That when you, th- when you look at this world and think, what is going on? You, th- you, think, you think he's terrified? He is so powerful that even in, he is even present in the midst of darkness. Even in the most broken things in our world, he is still accomplishing his will. And here's the thing, here's the thing about our God is that the scoreboard's already done. He's not playing to win this game. It's done. It's set. He's not terrified of every quarter of our life, because he knows the end result. So, Paul tells him, don't be a slave. Come on. You, you know better than this. I'm in control. I took my son to Kansas City last weekend, and he's 10. I wanted to travel with him, spend some father-son time. And he's 10, and it's like, we, we, we get to the airport, and he's like, Dad, shouldn't we go that way? Dad, where's our gate? Dad, are we going to miss it? Dad, are we going to? He's terrified at every step. And I'm like, you know, as a parent, if you're not a parent, here's what happens as a parent. Like you, you know, son, it's going to be okay. And then the fourth or fifth or sixth time, you're like, hey! Huh? Did you book the tickets? Did you drive here? Are we going to use your credit card to get us food today? Let me see your wallet. I'm in charge. You put your little headphones in and play Fortnite. I got this. <laughs> but I'm telling you, like, every turn. Is that our gate? Are we boarding now? Where are we going to sit? Like, Bruh. <laughs> I got this. I booked the ticket. It's like in this culture, they're like, God, is that our gate? God, are we going to? God, are we going <laughs> to? It's like God is saying, little Christians at North Phoenix, bruh, I created this. I calm the winds and the storms. I give and take life. 
Psalm 139, before you even your mother's womb, I had every day planned for you. You can imagine God, bruh. Like. <laughs> and then the next flight, it was awesome. He didn't ask me a thing. He just put his headphones on and followed my lead. And some of us just need to put our headphones on and follow God's lead. Because he has this. He knows what's going on. He's not caught off guard. And God will accomplish his will. No doubt. He will accomplish his will. So he's telling them, don't be a slave to what's happening around you. Don't be a slave to fear. And I'm going I'm to land the plane because it's 1135 and I need to make burgers and watch Patrick Mahomes. But I want you to hear this. Okay, I'm, I, just, I just need your attention. I'm landing on this last verse. I, I didn't go as far as I wanted to today, and I'm joking about the time. I just, uh, but, but let, me, let me share this with you because I want to leave you on this, and the band's going to come up, and we're going to be done, okay? Listen, please, if you haven't listened to anything, turn the app off, turn your phone off. Just listen, 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 listen. These people are broken. We don't know what they've walked through. Uh, maybe as sexual abuse, maybe, maybe depression, maybe their, their marriage is struggling, maybe, maybe their, their kids or following Christ. I don't know what they're walking through during this time, but I know the power of the Holy Spirit now and how he worked through Paul to bring hope to people. And the way he brought hope is to reveal who God is. And when they saw who God is and who they were changed by who he is, they were, oh, minds, were minds were blown. So these people are sitting here broken and he is saying, listen, if you know if you're a believer, if you're led by the spirit of God, um, and let me just tell you, by the way, if you're a believer, don't you live in fear and don't you go back to the spirit of slavery. And he says this, let me, let me, let me let's celebrate now. He says, but you have received, received a gift that you didn't work for and that you didn't earn the spirit of adoption, not the spirit of slavery. No, the spirit of adoption is sons by who we cry, Abba, Father. Check this out. Check this out. When Paul uses this, it means nothing to us because we may not be fully understand, uh, fully understand what's happening in this culture. Watch this. Watch this. Uh, Paul uses this language that at this point, they're just like, ah. In the Roman culture, it was so important that the rich had heirs to give their possessions to when they died. And, and if there, were, there, there, was, there, was, there was often families that had children that they didn't want. So you talk about the enemy distorting God's design. We see it all the way in Scripture, how even then as we see today that the enemy is trying to take the value away human life as he is doing today. And he's doing it through, through, you know, through all kinds of ways, doing it through abortion, doing it through, doing it through all this stuff. The enemy is just trying to take away the value of human life. He has never stopped trying to do that. And there were these families who had these children, and they didn't want them. And so what they would do is, this is crazy, these families would go into the city of Rome. They would go into Rome where there were thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. And the parents who didn't want their children would drop off this child. They would drop off this child like the child was a stray dog. And when the child would turn around, the, the parents would take off and the child would get lost. Like, where did my family go? Eventually, the orphan would learn how to fend for themselves. And the way they would fend through them, for themselves would often through just crime. 
They just experienced deep rejection and abandonment from the ones that who so, supposed to love and take care of them. And now they're in the city of Rome, hundreds of thousands of people. And these kids, after time, are probably just dirty. They, they, were, they had the criminal record. They felt like nobody loved them. I'm sure they were hard-hearted. And they were rejecting people who even got close to them. People would walk by them and not look at them eye to eye because they were so dirty. And here are these people. What would often happen when a rich family didn't have kids, they had no one to give their inheritance to, rich families would go into the city and they would find an orphan. They would pick an orphan. They would pick an orphan. It didn't matter how dirty the orphan was. It didn't matter the crime record. It just didn't matter. They had love and they wanted to, they wanted to share their love. They wanted to give it to somebody and they wanted this person to, to feel what it felt like to be loved. So they would go find this orphan and they would, they would get this orphan but there needed to be a legal transaction. You couldn't just take them off the street. So the father would, would take this orphan to, to the court because there needed to be a legal transaction. And so the father would take this orphan to the court. If you can imagine the orphan, he's thinking, what's this, what's this guy going to do to me? Is he going to hurt me like everybody else did? Is he going to abuse me? Is he going to drop me off at another city? What's going on? So at this point, the orphan's probably like, how do I, t- I want it. I want to be loved, but are you going to hurt me? I don't. So there's this inner battle and they're dirty and have nothing to offer but a criminal record. The father gets before the judge, and here's what happens. And you can go back and search the the Greek and Roman history, and you will see that the father gets before the judge. And and the father tells the judge, hey, this kid, here's what I want to do today. I'm going to sign this document. And when I sign the document, this kid's name is going to be changed. And when I signed the document, whatever debt this kid has because they were learning to fend for themselves in a broken world, when I signed the document, I'm so rich, I'll, I'll pay for their debt. In fact, I will even be responsible for their future debt because I want them and I love them. And it didn't stop there. When he signed the document, it meant that not only was he going to be forgiven of his criminal record and debt. Not only was he getting a new name, but it also meant that he would now be a co-heir of that man's possessions, just as if he was a blood child. At this point, the spirit of adoption, people are listening to this like, what, what is going on? The reason why Paul uses this, because he's speaking to broken people, spiritual orphans or new believers who may not fully grasp and concept the love of God. And what he is basically telling them, like, hey, listen, You are a spiritual orphan. But let me share something with you. The father saw your need. And he picked you and he he sent his son and he picked you and his son came to the courts. And his son told the father, Father, listen, I will die on the cross and with my blood I will sign for this one. With my blood I will give this one a new name. With my blood I will pay for their past, present, and future sin. And with my blood, they will now be co-heirs with me. This one belongs to me. If you can imagine the freedom, these people are thinking like, I'm dirty and I'm sinful. Why would you love me? And he's just saying, I signed for you. I signed for you. That's how much I love you. I signed my life for you. Come home. You are part of this family. Come home. I would never drop you off. Come home. I would never leave you nor forsake you. Come home. If you're an orphan, you're probably just thinking, 
Just some bread would have been good. Maybe a shower. But you're giving me all of this. But you don't know what I've done. You're giving me all of this. And the father says, yeah. And what did I do? Nothing. Nothing. I just want to love you. If you've ever seen the show Undercover Boss, anybody ever seen that before? My favorite part of the show is the very end. And throughout the show, the, the CEO of a company is undercover watching the way employees work. And one of my favorite shows, episodes, is the CEO sits down with an employee and begins to tell the employee basically what they were doing wrong. And you can see it. The employee's sitting down just like this, and they're just like, oh, gosh, I'm going to get fired. The employee also shared everything that she was walking through. It was a single mother. i never forget this story. Her son was sick. A lot of medical bills. She didn't have a place to live. She had a lot of debt. And the CEO says, hey, here's what you did wrong. But here's what I want to do. I know you have a lot of medical bills. I'm going to give you $20,000 to pay those off and we'll keep paying the future ones. And this lady's like, what? But you just, you just saw what I did wrong. You want to give me this? What? And at this point, like if I'm, I'm a sucker for this stuff, at this point, I'm like, <laughs> give it to her, man. Give it to her. You got money? Give her more. Give her more. Then he says, hey, also recognize that you don't have a home so here are the keys to a brand new house at this point I'm not kidding she's like oh gosh and she's like just broken like crying and I'm on the other side of the TV and I'm like oh I feel you girl I'm crying my wife's crying the dog is crying we're all crying He wasn't done. He said, also, I know you have all this debt, but I'm paying it off and wiping it free. And she just, <laughs> and I just, <laughs> if God would have forgiven us, that would have been enough. He forgave us, gave us a new name, paid our debt, then made us a co-heir with Christ. What did you do to deserve that? What did I do to deserve that? The answer is nothing. It's what Christ did. It's what Christ did. May we never be glory thieves and recognize what Christ has done for us so that we can receive the love of the Father. If you would have died for me, that's more than enough, but you choose to love me. 
and you choose to use us and you choose to care about us and you choose to lead us and you choose to forgive us and you choose to restore us and you choose to comfort us and you choose to be on anchor and you choose to never leave us nor forsake us. You choose to be sure that we will never be spiritual orphans again. If you would have died, that would have been enough. Then Paul says that they cry out, Abba, Father. That's the response in Scripture to them being adopted by His Spirit. You know what that means? It was an emotional response when they recognized how much He loved them that they said, Oh my gosh. It's the Greek form of saying, Daddy. Oh, Daddy. I thought I was so awesome. I thought my money made who I was. I thought my degrees made who I was. I thought my friends, I thought my home, I thought my cars. But it was you, Father. Oh, Abba, Father, it was you. And I did nothing to deserve it. It was you. Man, that's a good God. And that love is for all of us in this room today. You may be in this room, and you may be a spiritual orphan with a track record. Let me tell you, he loves you. He loves you so much. He loves you. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. For the Christian in the room, here's all I want you to do. Please don't ever take his love for granted. Don't you ever forget it, please. In all humility, please, please, please. Never stop falling in love with what he has done and who he is. Then if you're in the room today, and you may feel like a spiritual orphan, Maybe you can relate to my story where love has been so broken in your life that you've never understood how to let God love you. You've never received it, so you've ran from it. You've attempted it, but you've never surrendered to it. Let me just tell you, it's almost as if with the blood of Jesus, he has stood before the Father and he has signed the legal document. And he's just waiting on you to sign your part. If you're in this room today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, he is the truth, he is the way, and he is the life. He lived a life that you could never live on your own. And he died a death that you could never die. He defeated a grave you could never defeat so that when you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be a child of God and you can be forgiven. If you're in here and you've never done that, please do not leave without making that decision. In fact, right now with all eyes closed and head bowed, if that is you and saying, I want to be adopted by the Father, if this is what it means, I want to be adopted, will you just raise your hand all across this room? Just raise your hand and say, I'm in. Amen. I knew there were going to be hands. Amen. Anybody else? All across the room. Amen. Over here. Anybody else? I'll scan all across here. Just hold them high. Say, I want Jesus. I want to be adopted. I want Jesus. Amen. Over here, college students. Amen. Proud of y'all. All on the balcony. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to amen right in front of me. There are a whole bunch of you. You're not alone if you're raising your hand. Let me just tell you that. Let me just tell you that. In fact, here's what I want to do. If you are serious, if you're raising your hand, keep your hand raised and just look at me. If you're serious, keep your hand raised. Y'all mean that right here? You mean that, sir? Amen. Anybody else? Keep it high so I can see you. I want to be sure you, you mean it over here. Amen. Y'all mean it over here? Y'all mean it over here? Proud of y'all. Who else? Who else? Who else? Who else? Because we're about to celebrate together. We're about to celebrate. Anybody else over here, college student, who raised their hand? Amen. You mean it over here, young lady? Proud of you. Here's what I want you to do. There are a whole bunch. You mean it too? There are a whole bunch of you. Here's what I want you to do. 
We are going to sing together and we're going to celebrate. But here's what I want you to do. If you meant that on the count of three, I just want you to stand up and come forward and the entire church is going to cheer for you. But you're going to declare today that you want to be a child of God. You ready? You can do it. It'll take one of you to stand. The rest will follow. You ready? One, two, three. Just begin to stand. Come on. You can do it. Come on. Come on. All across. There you go. Come on. There you go. All across. Come on. Just come forward. Come on. Keep coming. Church, I want you to stand with them, church. Let's stand with them, church. Come on, y'all. Keep coming. Come on. Give it up for them, church. Come on. Come on. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. All in the balcony. There you go. I'm proud of y'all. Come on. Come on. Keep coming. Keep coming. I'm proud of y'all. Proud of you. Proud of you. Proud of you, man. Who else? Come on, church. Come on. Give it up. We're going to cheer louder than this later. Come on. There you go. Proud of you.